This is a special episode where we discuss pacing and crewing ultras. We have veteran race supporters Amelia Boone and Alex Hildebrand in this episode, each with their own unique perspectives and guidance. If you're supporting a runner in an upcoming ultra or you're just curious about the process, this episode is for you. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it. And this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. We are proud to share that this episode is sponsored by our friends over at Puma. Here at For the Long Run Podcast, we're fans of Puma and have been really impressed with their efforts to support and foster the running community. We're excited to partner with a brand that has such a rich history in sports and that cares deeply about the running community. Puma believes that sometimes all it takes is a spark to make a change, to get motivated, or to try something new or hard. And we couldn't agree more. All we need is that small spark and the actions will follow to get us there. With that small flicker, anything is possible. Puma Running Shoes offers supreme cushioning, superior propulsion, comfort, and lightweight technology. I've been running in the DV8 Nitro first mile, and I love how it has a focus on sustainability. The shoe feels amazing, and even better, it's in collaboration with First Mile. It's made from at least 20% recycled material, as First Mile's focus is on cutting down plastic waste in production and in the supply chain by finding innovative ways to get recycled plastic into products like Puma running shoes. Check out a pair for yourself at puma.com and use the code FORTHELONGRUN for 20% off any Puma runner train products. When you support Puma, you support me and the rest of the For The Long Run podcast team. Thanks again to Puma for sponsoring us. Over here at For The Long Run Podcast, we are enjoying the heck out of summer. And who is helping us stay hydrated and stoked on our summer running adventures? Hydropack. Hydropack is our newest partner and we couldn't be more excited to be supported by them. Haven't heard of Hydropack? Check your hydration vest for collapsible water bottles, reservoirs, or your favorite handheld. It's most likely a Hydropack hydration vessel. They've been helping us stay hydrated and happy out on the trails for years, sometimes without us even knowing it. Well, the time has come to get to know Hydropack. We love that every product can be a universal replacement for any reservoirs or flasks in any of your vests or packs. Their products are designed for runners by runners, so we know that we're getting the best design for our running needs. They also provide safe filtration systems so that you can stay hydrated and healthy while you're out in the Alpine backcountry this summer. When it comes to summer adventures, I'm most stoked about their filtration system. Their 42 millimeter filter fits in their Ultra Flask, which is the one that I use, and also the Sky Flask. If you need hydration support, head on over to hydropack.com and enter code LONGRUN23 for 20% off. Using our code to purchase your next hydration flask or reservoir helps us continue to make this show. Thank you to Hydropack for supporting the show and the community around it. Keep an eye out for some fun future events together. We are proud to announce the newest sponsor of the podcast, Scratch Labs. Scratch Labs is a local Boulder-based sports nutrition brand known not just for their awesome sports nutrition products, but for their love of science and the community. I'll share a bit more about their products and how I use them. But for now, thank you to Scratch for supporting the podcast. Scratch will be a partner of the podcast this summer. And as always, supporting the brands that support the podcast helps to keep this machine rolling. You can use the code FTLR20 for 20% off all Scratch products through their website via the link in the show notes. Okay. 
Okay, we are live with Amelia Boone for a pacing and crewing special episode ahead of Western States and Leadville and Hard Rock and all the fun adventures coming up this summer. So Amelia, thanks for taking some time to chat today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So we have done two podcasts together. Yes. I believe I've asked you the who is Amelia question once. I think, I don't think I was asking it when we were at TRE in 2019. Was that our first, that was our first one, That was one, our first right? podcast. Okay. I think that was the first time. Yeah, that was the first podcast. That was like episode 60. Right, I was wearing a flamingo suit. Yep. Right, yep. Yep, yep. Yep. Um, that was a fantastic episode. We did another episode together, like right at the beginning of the pandemic. Right. We were both in wonderful places at the time. <laughs> the so if you want to hear a completely different version of Amelia, um, dial it back to that one. But that was, that was, it's cool to think about all this progress and stuff right? too, right? I know. It's crazy how much we've grown since we first kind of crossed paths in 2017 via Taco Socks. Taco Socks. Shout out to Devin Yanko and Carolyn Burkle. Um, not to wax poetic too much on, on all of that business, but- uh, first, before we dive into it again on pacing and crewing today, um, who who is Amelia? So we can sort of set the stage for who's giving all this advice, right? Because uh, it's 2023, we have to credential our advice, right? Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Amelia Boone is a Pop-Tart connoisseur, uh, which comes in very handy with pacing and crewing. Also, I run ultras and obstacle races and everything along those lines. And I have done a lot of crewing and pacing in my life. So. And- and you've done a lot of like gnarly racing too. So you've yes. seen it from both sides of the aisle. Yeah, you know, I've done, um, I think in terms of, I, I've always said the the worst race ever to crew would be Big's Backyard Ultra, which I ran twice. Uh, because those crew people, though you're stuck in one place, so you don't have to move, your runners come back every single hour. So there is zero break. So doing that, doing Barkley, um, you know, I, I've, I have seen a lot and I have experienced a lot in terms of sleep deprivation, in terms of foot fixings, uh, just gnarly, gnarly things. So the focus today is going to be on the short hundred mile distance. <laughs> the very short hundred mile distance. <laughs> Which you've done a couple of times. Yeah. Um, Okay, so last year we crewed Zoe Rome. Mm -hmm. You basically ran point with TJ on what to do, when, where, how, oh my God, what's happening? How do we get her out of here physically, mentally, et cetera? Um, talk to me about the, the first, the people. Maybe it's too late for this conversation if you're listening to this ahead of Western States, but Leadville, et cetera. Um, how do you assemble a, a good crew, first of all? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it really depends on on the runner and the person who's running needs to know what they need in a crew or a pacer. Um, ideally, you have somebody who has crewed or paced uh, multiple 100s. So you have somebody out there who at least knows what they're doing and is very well organized. Um, it's helpful to have one person who's kind of like the taskmaster who can can kind of point to, okay, this is where we need to be when, uh, this is our organization strategy, you go here, you go here. Um, and then also I think it it's helpful to know, are you a person that you want a bunch of your friends out there to be there cheering you on? Or enemies. Or enemies. <laughs> uh, 
Or are you a person who prefers to like not have any emotional attachments out there? I know people who, for instance, won't let their partners pace them because it would just be, it, it would be detrimental to their running. So I think it's important to kind of know like, what do you need from crew? Do you actually really need the logistics? Do you need people swapping out vests for you? Or do you need more of like a cheering squad or a combination of both? I think most people find. What kind of runner are you? Uh, I am a runner who is terrible at asking for help, which is funny because I love crewing and pacing. I joke that if I could make a full-time career out of crewing and pacing, I would. It's my favorite thing ever. But I am the runner who I'm running a 100-miler in third week of July, and I do not have crew or pacers lined up because I am too scared to ask for help. So I'm more of a solo person. Uh, I'm sure I'll find something. Uh, but I think I actually... This is a classified ad if you're looking to... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you are looking to help out a Cascade Crest on July 21st, please slide into my DMs. Um, but I think for me, I I more need um, like the rah-rah uh, type of thing. Cause I'm pretty good logistically at doing my own thing during races. Um, but I think I need more like moral support. So I've heard you say before what you just said, which is I would do this full time if I could. Yes. What do you love so much about the crewing aspect? It is the best community activity you can ever have without running a hundred miler. Like you're not banging your body up. Well, yeah, you are exhausted. I've been but pretty banged up. <laughs> I know I was going to say. I was like, you will be very, very tired. And especially if it's a race like Hard Rock where you're up for 48 hours, which I've done. And is that's a whole nother level of crew. Western States is short, short race to crew. Hard Rock, woo, not so much. Uh, but it is the best kind of just atmosphere. You get to hang out with all your friends. You get to cheer people on. And you really get to help a runner succeed in their goals. And that is super, super cool. It's the most involved you can be in the ultra community without actually running the race. Totally. Yeah. And spectating ultras is challenging as well. Yeah. In 2018, I um, I crashed on the floor at the Goo House after uh, Western States. And I woke up like 10 feet away and Amanda Bastion was on the floor 10 feet away. Um, having just come in fourth, and I woke up and I was like, "Man, I'm I'm so wrecked." <laughs> and she looked at me. And she was like, "Shut the fuck up." <laughs> she couldn't move. Um, yeah. So okay, so we're we're thinking about how to maybe someone is listening to this and it's their first time crewing or or, mm -hmm. or pacing. First, what would you say to a, a first time crew member? First time crew member, I would say if you have other crew members who've done it, lean on them, learn from them. The biggest thing is to ask your runner what they need. Uh, so what do they need when they come through aid stations? Uh, like plan out logistically what is going to be important for them. Ask them their nutrition plan, ask them their pacing plan, um, and just kind of figure out what it is that they're looking for from their crew members, I think is very important. Uh, just as kind of like a first line, you know. For instance, the one question that I always ask, and I ask, I'm pacing Meg Morgan this this year at Western States, but I asked her, 
uh, the other day, like, do you want to know where you are in the race? Like, do you want to know how many women are ahead of you? How far ahead are they of you? And, you know, like, do you want to know that? And her answer is different than Zoe's last year, who was like, I don't want to know. Do not tell me until perhaps like this point in the race. Mile 98. <laughs> yeah, it's mile 98. Like, don't want to know, just <laughs> want to run blind. Um, and so I think those things are super important to know because the last thing you want to do as a crew member is also deflate your runner in a way by giving them information that they don't want to know um, or also you know, showing up in a way that's not conducive to their energy. So I think having those conversations ahead of time is really important. One thing that I think was really helpful having you a part of the adventure with Zoe last year is when when is enough, right? How do you help someone understand that they are their day is probably not going to involve a finish line? Um, mm-hmm. I've been a part of a pacing a friend who DNF'd at mile 65 of URA. And we had spent the last seven plus hours together. Yeah. And I was like, she can't go on. Like, the, mm-hmm. it's like not safe at this point. Um, hopefully, the people listening to this don't have to have that conversation. But I feel like it's something you should be equipped to handle. So, what? Yeah. What? What do you say? How do you triage something like that? Yeah, I think it's important to know if you have a crew of people who on the crew may be the best person to broach that with the runner, um, you know, like based on their relationship or based on just their demeanor. I have always approached it that I cannot, I will not make the decision for that runner. Because the last thing that you ever, you want that decision, you want that DNF decision to come from the runner, his or herself. Um, you don't want to ever feel, I at least, I, I should couch this in my own experience. I don't ever want to feel like I swayed somebody's decision that they later regretted. Regret, and yeah. they're probably going to regret the decision no matter what it right. is. You know, like when you DNF, there is going to be a part of you that regrets that decision. Um, but I think the role that I have played and I have crewed and paced in in multiple races where a person is where my runner is DNF'd. That doesn't make me a bad crew, I promise. <laughs> yeah, I'm over one. <laughs> I've also crewed and paced to finishes, I promise. <laughs> um, I think it's more, it's me asking them, do you want to talk through this right now? Like, what are the benefits of continuing? What are the benefits of not continuing? And like, do you have a time frame in which you want to make this decision? Or are you okay sitting and waiting it out and seeing and and just engaging. Some people want to talk through it. Some people don't want to talk through it. Everybody's process is different. Um, and I always also lead with that, um, you know, like regardless of your decision, <laughs> you are like, we support you 110%, you know, just the, the full rah-rah mode. And it's also a good conversation to have before the race starts that, and I think I, I do this every time before I go into a race, my own internal calculus of what is my DNF calculus. And I think it's a good conversation to have with your runner and that if they are faced with that decision, what do they want? And probably 
their answer in that moment is going to be totally different than when they're actually faced with the decision. But I do think it is a good way to set up how to approach this. Yeah, that was one thing that I didn't have experience and we didn't have that conversation prior to um, starting that day. And she ended up dropping at like 3 p.m. of the second day. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, shout out to Kelly Young. Um, It was incredible to see how much she wanted it paired with how like absolutely obliterated she was physically. Yeah. Um, And like you can get to a point in these races, not that I know from experience, but where you you just like can't think, right? Yeah. Is that is that true? I, I, that is very true. Um, that there is just your brain kind of has gone to a different place, but I think it is also something to frame. There's a difference between. I always say, okay, you're we're making a decision here. In my calculus for DNFs, as when I'm a runner, is if I continue, will I do irreparable harm, damage yeah. and more harm? that is going to set me back for a longer period of time that is worth it. And that calculus changes depending on the race. If it is, there are certain races that I would crawl across the finish line missing a leg. What race? Uh, Barkley. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, and then there are others where it's like, ooh, minor thing popping up, not my day, going to cut it. Uh, and so the I boulder, think boulder, boulder, <laughs> boulder, boulder. <laughs> oh, people are going to be so offended when they hear that. Uh, I'm kidding. That, yeah, that was a terrible example. <laughs> um, it was really fun watching you experience speed. Yes. And run your first 5K and then run my be first like, 10K. Is it weird that I want to go faster and see how fast <laughs> I can go? Yet I didn't train for it. So. Amelia <laughs> ran Boulder Boulder in the thick of 100 mile training. Yes. So. And I may, next year, maybe I'll actually train for a 10K. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> I have no idea where I'd Let's talk about there. Jeep adventures through Robinson Flat. <laughs> oh, so we're just totally switching. <laughs> yep. to, new conversation. To yeah. New conversation. Got it. I had some pearls of wisdom around crewing, but I totally forgot them now. We'll anyway. get back there. Um, okay, what happens when there's a curveball in the in the day from a crew or pacing standpoint? And the reason I ask that is yeah. this like silly example that we have where we took the wrong way from Robinson Flat to what was the next aid station? Uh, Duncan. Duncan, yeah. yeah. At 40, I think. 30 something, 37, yeah. yeah. And we were like, oh my God, we're going seven miles an hour. Kate was like, should I get out and run there with Zoe's stuff? And we ended up getting there with pl- plenty of time. Yep. Um, how do you, as a crew member, how do you handle this like uncertainty of how your day is going to unfold? Yeah, I think number one is stay calm, which I'm terrible at. <laughs> uh, and be like, no, no, it'll work out, it'll work out fine. I had come into this with a bit of a traumatic background in which I was part of a crew that actually missed a runner in 2016. That, uh, that was Devin at Western States. It's it's she on did the, all right. She did fine. She did fine. And I will not take blame because I was on crutches. So I uh was not my fault. But <laughs> joking. Uh but I think it, it's kind of like you have to understand as a crew member, you're doing your best. You are human as well. 
and you could miss your runner or you could screw something up. You could forget their headlamp. You could forget to put their nutrition in something or another. Could forget to set an alarm early enough and wake up too late. Yeah. And so I think that the only thing that you can do is just kind of take a step back and remember, okay, like this is a big deal. And also we are just running absurdly (laughs) long distances and it's not the end of the world. Um, and there are also going to be things that you have to understand as crew is that you can't take things personally as well. Your runner may come in and be totally pissed off or be yelling at you or saying mean things to you. And you just nod your head and be like, yep, they're probably <laughs> going to feel bad about that later. But like, look, I get it. They're in the Think about it for thir- the next 30 miles. <laughs> yeah. And so I've also learned just as crew, as pacers, like you can't take anything personally in those scenarios um, because of what that runner is going through in the moment. Totally. The one thing I have to add before we switch over to talking about pacing is um, take care of yourself. Yes. Like eat. I was, I think that's where I was going. Hydrate (laughs) all this stuff. Um, Because for a race like Western States, if you're up at the start, you're awake at 4 a.m. and you're driving three and a half hours to um, Robinson Flat and then et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, oh, it's a long, long day. Mm hmm. It is a long day and it's easy to neglect yourself in those moments. But if you are not taking care of yourself, you can't help your runner. And that also goes for pacing as well. There are multiple stories of people who have gotten dropped as pacers (laughs) because they weren't taking care of themselves and resting beforehand. Or their runner was Kyle Patari. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Or Dylan Bowman at Hard Rock. (laughs) So, (laughs) Okay, switching over to pacing. Yeah. Yeah. What are the things that a a first-time pacer should be thinking about? First of all, have the conversation ahead of time around what do you want from me? Do you want me to lead? Do you want me to set the pace and you to follow me? Or do you want to be out in front so I'm not dragging you along at a pace that's not sustainable and that you will blow up? Because you don't want to be the pacer that blows up your runner. (laughs) Kind of did that once. So don't recommend it. Uh, So I think having that conversation about who is going to lead and who is going to follow. Also, do they want reminders? Do they want reminders to eat, to drink? Uh, Do they want, do you, you know, you could set a timer on your watch and say every 15 minutes you need to eat something. Knowing the state of your runner. So if your runner is in really good spirits, they may not need a lot. If your runner is really, really struggling, you may want to remind them to eat or if they're having stomach issues, remind them to drink and and try and figure that out. Um, also knowing their goals. I think uh, a great thing is to ask them like, okay, are we going hunting? Do, do we want to like pick people off as we go ahead? Do we want to see that headlamp ahead of us and say, okay, I'm going to catch that person? Or is this just a chill... Let's just spend some time out in the woods together. I think knowing all of that ahead of time is is great. Finally, I would say ask them what kind of energy they respond to. Do they want you to be silent? Do they want you to talk the entire time? Do they <laughs> want to have a conversation? Yeah. Do you want to sing Disney songs together? And so it's just understanding what a person responds to. And they may say one thing before the race starts. And you so, and, and you, yeah. and then when that you actually get in that moment, they don't want that at all. <laughs> so I think being a pacer is, is a, 
a big learning experience in knowing how to read people and and to pick up on their energy and what they need in those moments. What are you looking for in a pacer? I feel like this is like a dating show. What are you looking for? <laughs> <laughs> what is an ideal pacer what for do you? What you want in pacer? I, uh, it would come to no surprise as anybody that I'm a pretty anxious person, pretty high strung. I generally need people who chill me out. So who will get me out of my head. That's why uh, you and Ryan do so well. Exactly. <laughs> so chill me out, bring me down a few notches uh, and uh, just say, like, keep me kind of focused on just enjoying the experience. Because I think the number one thing that I have regretted after ultras is that I've gone through periods, I've run 20 miles and been like, I didn't even look around and enjoy what was going on in this moment, even as bad as it sucked. So um, that's kind of what I need. Let's talk about finish line etiquette. Yes. What is finish line etiquette? Also another important conversation to have uh, with your runner because everyone is different. So Western States, you know, you come off Roby Point, you hit the track, Every like people run around the track and, and finish. So I always ask, do you want us to finish with you or do you want us to peel off? Do you want us to run around the track? How soon do you want us to peel off? I generally always believe it's best for pacers to peel off at least like don't cross the finish line with them. Um, other people are different. Some people are like, you know what? This entire team carried me through 100 miles. I want everyone to cross the finish line with me. So I think I think it want, it's dependent and once again, have that conversation. We had a uh, tweeter tweet <laughs> about a question that they wanted to hear about, which was um, not the white rim one, the, <laughs> the, um, the, the, the crewing by bike. Yes. Yes, I crewed Leadville mainly by bike last year, which uh, was an amazing thing to do. And I actually highly recommend if the race is set up for it, it's a great way to avoid lines because Leadville, everybody goes out to Mayfair. There's massive backups of cars. Then everybody goes over, um, you know, Twin Lakes. Parking is just like so hard, you have to walk for miles. If you have a bike or even an e-bike, especially an e-bike with like some cargo storage, you can crew via bike and it's great. Do you have any recommendations for e-bikes with cargo storage? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's this brand, over the, this brand called Priority Bikes and they make a e-bike called The Current, which you can hang some panniers on. No, um, not a sponsored ad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that um, there are ways, depending on the race setup, to get creative in your crewing, especially because also sometimes races only allow one vehicle uh, per runner at a place. So if you have more people that want to come out there, like, can you access it by bike? And sometimes, actually, I know Cascade Crest, they're telling us one of the aid stations, the road is so bad, you can't even really get to it, but you can get to it via bike. <laughs> So highly recommended as an alternative. Also, bikes are just better for the environment. So woo. Did you little plug. crew Ure by bike or were you just, were you spectating? Uh, I bike? I was spectating. I was just going for a ride via bike. Got it. Uh, <laughs> I just rode Million Dollar so Highway. You chose to ride Million Dollar Highway. I chose highway. to ride Million Dollar Highway, um, which in hindsight was not a brilliant idea. If you're in front of a computer listening to this, Google Million Dollar Highway Ure. And, and 
look look it up. Though to be fair, Million Dollar Highway <laughs> is way less scary on a bike than it is in a car. That road's scary. and I have driven yeah. I've driven that road multiple times during Hard Rock, like in the middle of the night. And I got, oh God, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die crewing. Uh but so bike isn't as bad. But no, Yure is easy because pretty it's much everybody centered, comes yeah. back to the same place. So I think as a crew member, look at logistics, figure out looped courses and point to point are going to be the hardest because it's going to be a lot of driving. Out and backs, woo! <laughs> out and backs are easy to crew. So if you can volunteer for an out and back, do it. Sweet. So I've asked a bunch of questions. Um, you have way more experience than probably most people uh, when it comes to this. What are the What are the things that I haven't asked about that people should be thinking about. Oh, you've been actually doing a pretty good job. So um appreciate that. I would think about knowing about Salesforce service out there, uh, knowing like how are you going to communicate amongst your crew and are you able walkie to? Walkie-talkies. Walkie, oh, I have used walkie-talkies before. <laughs> High five. That's so fun. High five and Lake City. Yeah, we used walkie-talkies. Uh, no, are you allowed to actually text with your runner before they get to aid stations. Different races have different rules. But sometimes if your runner has their phone, they have service, they can text you prior to coming in an aid station about what they need or how they're feeling. Um, just Is make that sure. not allowed at some races? I don't know. I, I Part of me wants, I mean, Barkley, no, because you can't have a phone. <laughs> right. uh, I can't see why it would be disallowed. But there's this part of me that's like, I don't know, maybe yeah. you should just double check yeah. to make sure that you're allowed to do that. Because I have definitely texted crew ahead of time and been like, in really bad shape. You get DQ'd from those races. <laughs> <laughs> just double check with the race director that it's okay. But m many of these races, there is no cell service around. So you couldn't actually probably even do that. Right. But if there is, it's not a bad idea. Um. And yeah, just think about your own sleep schedule. Think about your own needs in all of this. And um, there was something else, but I am totally blanking on it right now. We'll have to do it again next summer. <laughs> so uh, last question. Um, what are you most excited about for Western States this year? I Well, first of all, I'm super stoked for my runner, Meg Morgan. She's going to crush. She's amazing. We have a great crew set up. Um, By the way, we had her on the podcast. Uh, the episode will be out Friday, June 16th. So if you're listening amazing. to this, uh, the episode is already out. Perfect. <laughs> Wait, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, June 16th. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent timing. Uh, so, but I am just, I'm looking forward to the energy and just, I mean, it's the best race in terms of community and people being there and the vibe and well, not to take away from any, there are other races that are just as good. Uh, sorry, now I'm just being wishy-washy. <laughs> but it is- Stand for something or stand for nothing, Amelia. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't. I'm sorry, I thought about Hard Rock and then I was like, ooh, that one's pretty good too. Uh, no, but I'm just excited to see it unfold and Forest Hill is always a party. Though I'm pacing starting at Forest Hill, so I can't really like, remember how last year I blew up a, a- unicorn. I blew up in a massive unicorn by myself. Yep. Via mouth. Uh, so going to have to- save your lungs. <laughs> say, I'm going to have to save my lungs for pacing this time. Cool. Uh, if somebody's listening to this and for some reason they've made it through the whole, whole episode and they're running Western States or another ultra this summer- what do you want to say to them? 
Have fun. I mean, honestly, any it is an experience and a journey and just soak up every moment, especially if it's Western States or a, or a race that has a lottery that's hard to get into. I think a great way to bring yourself back into the race is to think so few people get to experience this. And even though my race may be going terribly, like I am out here doing this. Amazing. Amelia, thank you so much. This was part one of the two-part series for pacing and, and uh, crewing. Um, up next is Alex Hildebrand, who has paced Meg Morgan as well and crewed Meg Morgan as well. Um, so <laughs> this this idea actually came about from her, who said, you need to speak with Alex because he's a rock-solid pacer and crewer. Um, and here we are. So thank you so much. And there's another 20-ish minutes uh, coming up uh, right after this break. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. This episode of For the Long Run Podcast is sponsored by Puma. For 75 years, Puma has been pushing sports and culture forward with innovative design and development. We are honored to have Puma supporting this show and supporting the running community at large. My greatest compliment for running shoe is, I didn't think about it once. The purpose of having the right gear is to enable you to do anything you want out there. When I'm running in Puma's Deviate Nitro first mile, all I'm thinking about is literally anything else. I think about the community. I think about why trying hard things is so rewarding. I think about how cute Alfie is. And I think about how much I love tacos. And I think about the big things like how I want to leave each place I inhabit better than I found it. You know what I'm not thinking about? What's on my feet? And that's the best thing about Puma running shoes. They're designed to help you get out there effortlessly so you don't have to worry about what's on your feet. Just need to worry about putting one foot in front of the other. Check out a pair for yourself at puma.com and use the code for the long run, all one word, for 20% off. Again, when you support Puma, you're supporting me and the rest of the podcast team. Thanks again to Puma for supporting us. We are proud to be sponsored by a local Boulder-based sports nutrition company that we all know and love, Scratch Labs. As you may know, last year I went to their facility here in Boulder and got a sweat test done. They were able to tell me how much salt I'm losing during a workout and recommend sports nutrition from there. Long story short, I'm a salty sweater and need to replenish perhaps more than the average person. But that's not all. About a year ago, I started working with sports dietitian Kylie Van Horn. Kylie is the owner of Fly Nutrition and a coach within Microcosm. I was having a lot of GI issues pre-run and during the run, so David, my coach, suggested I work on nutrition with Kylie. I switched my nutrition pre-run to purely liquid fueling, and while that didn't solve 100% of what I've been dealing with, it sure has helped. Fast forward a year and more, and Scratch's products have helped kept me fueled and energized through plenty of strong workouts and long runs, as well as some big adventure days in the mountains. Their super high carb mix is exactly that. It's full of what you need and goes down super smooth. When you give your body what it needs, you'll truly enjoy it for the long run. You can grab energy bars, chews, hydration mix, recovery drink mix, and super high carb drink mixes for your big days from scratch to fuel your training and upcoming adventures. I use the lemon lime super high carb mix every single day. I use a half serving within an hour of all morning runs, and it's my main fuel source for road long runs. For trail adventures, I use a couple servings in my bottles and supplement that with the chews or other fun trail snacks. You can use the code FTLR20 for 20% off your order at the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Scratch for supporting the show.
And we are back with Alex Hildebrand on the podcast live here in Boulder again. Alex, thanks so much for taking some time to chat for a special uh, Western States and pacing and crewing episode today. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me. Um, it's a really exciting time of the year. We're all, you know, all of our Boulder friends are getting prepped for Western States. So yeah, it's an awesome time. Appreciate you having me on. Excited to talk about crewing. Of course. So we had Meg Morgan on last week and she was like, you got to talk to my friend, Alex. <laughs> uh, you got to have him on and talk about crewing. So here we are. Yeah. Um, so for those listening, we've had a couple of weeks of Western States athletes running. We had Hayden Hawks and then Meg Morgan. And today, if you're listening to this on the day that the episode is released, tomorrow is Western States. So we figure we'd, we'd get a little uh, little into the weeds with with crewing and pacing. So before we dive into that, I'm going to ask the question that I like to ask always. Who is Alex? Just so we can get some background. Yeah. Yeah. Alex, uh, I'm 27 years old, trail runner based in Boulder, Colorado, full-time job in the tech industry, conversational AI, relatively new to the trail running scene about I moved to Colorado three years ago. And as most of us do, kind of if the bug bites, <laughs> it bites hard. Yeah. And now I'm fully into it. That's nice. uh, what I love most of my life. And then... Yeah, recently, like in 2022, had dealt with some injuries and some illness. And as a result of that, started crewing my friends. And it's sort of become a running thing where I uh, go to races, crew my friends, and I've had a lot of good luck lately. <laughs> so I guess I'm a good luck term. But yeah, it's a little bit about me. Nice. And you've got the mustache to go with the trail vibe. Yeah. So the mustache, it's a new development. Um, I started getting it going for Cocodona, crew my friend Sarah there. So I'm just keeping it going. I think it's the theme of this year. So. Yep. Um, cool. Well, we're going to do a podcast one-on-one later this summer, but for now, we're going to start talking about crewing. So what was the first uh, race you crewed? Um, that was last year, Run Rabbit Run. And what were your, what were you thinking about going into it? Like, were you, Did you feel pressure? Uh, uh, not really. I mean, the person I crewed, Sarah Ostazuski, I mean, she's been doing ultras for a very long time. So she knows how to take care of herself well. And the inf- instructions that she gave to me are pretty simple. I mean, what were those instructions? She had a bag of different garments, like rain jacket, um, different, you know, base layers, um, different socks, different shoes, and spring energy gels. And all it was was coming to the aid station. She's going to tell me exactly what she needs. I'll provide that to her. Um, and yeah, that was pretty much it. It was quite simple. Um, the race went really well. So it wasn't too like the one thing that I think a lot of crew people deal with is prior to a race, the race sends out so much information around like, hey, crew, like parking instructions and a bunch of information on, oh, you won't be able to park here. You got to park at this location, walk and da, 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 da. So I was more concerned about getting to the aid stations on time. But as we, most of us experienced, like that's never an issue. Plenty of time. It's like you drive there and there's like, there's so much time. There's parking available. Like We crewed Zoe Rome last year at Western States. And I was nervous about, the aid station that was after Robinson Flat. Uh, Forest Hill? No, that's um, a few more later. Okay. And we took the dirt road from Robinson Flat. It's like, that's where the GPS sent us. And we were in a Jeep, fortunately. And um, we were going like seven miles an hour. And uh, Kate, my girlfriend, was like, I should get out and, and run the remaining seven miles. We're going to be late. Oh my God. Um, and Amelia Boone was in the car and it was just like a whole like, and she's done a whole bunch of basic inquiry too. Yeah. So she was like super calm about it, I guess, knowing we had tons of time. But then we get to the to the aid station and we had like an hour and a half. <laughs> That's typically how it goes. <laughs> so if someone's crewing for their first time, what what guidance do you have? 
Um, I was actually thinking about this before, you know, when you sent me a message to have me on the podcast. I think like number one, getting your like baseline logistics set up. Like, you know, the coordinates of the aid stations, you know how to get to the aid stations. And then I think fundamentally, you want to know what the goals of your runner are. You know, if, if you're someone who's going to be at the top of the race, like a Meg Morgan, a Sarah Ostazuski, a Jenna Bensko, you want to know like, hey, when you come into aid stations, what information do you want me to provide you about the field? You know, you really want to know their intentions. Because you don't want to surprise them. Exactly. You don't want to like provide them information that they don't want to hear. Or on the contrary, maybe even worse, you don't want to leave out information that could be crucial to their success in the race. 45 seconds behind you. Right. Like you, you really want to know your runner's intentions. Be really clear about that. And then have, have a plan, right? Like walk it through. Walk through every aid station. Hey, when you come into this aid station, what do you want me to give you? Typically, your runner should provide that to you in a spreadsheet. You can have it on your phone. So throughout the race, you can reference it when you're coming to an aid station, get to an aid station early, prep all your stuff. And yeah, just have fun from there. What is the most nerve-wracking part of crewing? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I would, like, now that I have experience, I wouldn't say it's like getting to the aid station on time. I would more so just making sure that you can, especially in a shorter race, like a 50K, for example. A runner comes in and you want to get them out of there so quickly because those seconds matter so much. And I think that's probably it. Like as you, as every runner knows, the bottles on a hydration vest are so difficult to get in and out. <laughs> and like that specifically is something that like doesn't stress me out, but it's something that you want to be, have a plan for, have someone on your team that's going to do every single task for the runner when they get in there. Um, so it's really just getting them in and out as quickly as possible, especially in those shorter races. I think that's definitely the most stressful thing I would say. So this podcast is sponsored by Hydropack. And this is a a plug for their speed bottles because you can just pop the top right off without unscrewing it. And so it's like a one pop top and then you just pour it in and then they're on their way. Um, When we crewed Zoe last year, she had bottles for every aid station. So we were not filling bottles, just replacing bottles. And if you can, you know, have six bottles available in a rotation and just refill the ones that you get from your runner and send them along their way and then do that again and just keep doing that. We had two crews, so I think she had eight bottles. Oh my gosh. Um, But either way, we were rotating in and out and she was shooting for a podium spot. And so who knows, could could those, you know, 10 seconds have, have mattered? Potentially. Yeah, dude, it's funny you say it about Hydropack because I also use the speed bottles, <laughs> like my go-to. But yeah, I mean, like, okay, runners in like, let's say a certain section of a race, like let's say it's a downhill, for example, like your runner might put out a ton of effort to try and gain a lead, maintain a lead. You know, they're really trying really hard to make up minutes in the running section. Right. And then they come to an aid station and if they don't have that dialed, it's like... Wasted time. It's like, okay, let's say you... You know, Meg Morgan, for example, runs a certain section at an eight-minute pace, where at, you know, like charged to run an eight-minute pace, whereas at her competitor, maybe he did a 10-minute pace. Okay, Meg put in all that effort to run a little bit faster, gets into an aid station and isn't efficient through there. It's like you might as well just throw your effort out the window right. in, a, in a sense. So you really need to be quick through aid stations. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's really important to have most runners, if they're wearing a vest, do the vest swap. Riley Brady, they're uh, known for that. Riley's parents are really good at that. Um, so I'd recommend, you know, if you if you are running with a hydration vest, that you swap the vest. So you come to an aid station, drop it, grab the new one, run out of there. And then particularly later in the race, like after Forest Hill, start getting a vest that has ice. Yes. Get some ice on that body. 
definitely. And if, well, this will come out the day before state. So hopefully people are equipped, but um, a lot of runners do the ice bandana where it's the, you know, their typical bandana that a lot of us wore at the beginning of the pandemic and with a little slot or sleeve in there to put it ice in. So you should be giving that to your runner when they come into an aid station because it's going to be hot and you want to keep them cool. And then that ice is going to melt and then it will chafe. So you want to make sure that that runner is lubing up wherever that water is going to melt. Oh yeah, that's true. Yep. I ran a Boston Marathon in a rainy year and the the saying on the bus was, if you like it, lube it. <laughs> um, okay, so have you have you paced at Western States as well? I have not. I actually haven't been to Western States. All right. So, yeah, I would love to go, but I have a conflict. My brother is getting married that day, so I won't be able to attend. But you've, you've paced in general, right? I have paced. I paced, uh, my last pacing was Sarah Ostaszewski at Cocodona. So that was a couple hundred miles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My pacing section was like, downhill, easy single track. It was very fun. So I had a good easy section. So a bit like the back half of, of Western States. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I picked up, I picked up Sarah at like mile, like late seventies or eighties. Um, so yeah, like back half of Western States. So let's talk about, we've talked about crewing. Let's talk about pacing. Um, what are the things that people should be thinking about that they might, they might've forgotten about? Yeah. I mean, like it depends on the runner and it's similar to what I talked about with crewing. Like before the race, you want to be have have a discussion with your runner. Like, hey, what are your intentions? And what style do you want me to have when we're pacing? Whether that's running in front of you, running behind you, running beside you. Um, do you want me to be pushing the pace a little bit? Do you kind of want me to just run with you? You really want to like make sure you kind of square that all away. So you don't like... Last thing you want to do is like upset your runner. Yeah. Or like know? tell jokes when they're not looking exactly. for jokes. Exactly. You know, so you kind of want to have these conversations ahead of time. And like granted, you know, like especially a hundred mile race like Western States, like runners when they come into a mile 50 or, you know, onwards, they're kind of going to be mentally worked. Um, so you do want to let them know ahead of time that like before the race, you tell me you want me to run ahead of you. I'm still going to do that. Like you still need to stick to your plan, regardless of whether your runner kind of feels, feels like it and likes it in the moment. You kind of have to be a little tough sometimes, but yeah. And at the same time, like, and this goes for crewing and pacing, like this is such a fun event, you know, like taking a step back, like, our world of trail running, especially like a race like Western States, it is such a celebration of folks like hard work over months. They've been thinking about this thing for months and even this years. December, at least. It's like, remind them of that. Like, this is a fun thing. This yeah. is a celebration of all that hard work. So you never want to be like too like strict or too like rigid and not have fun. Like when they come to an aid station, you pick them up as a pacer, like smile, like be genuinely excited to see them. Cause like, it's such a cool experience that, at least in North America, given our like crewing and pacing uh, format that we get to participate in like our friends and family's races. It's really cool. So I think keep that in mind. It's super fun. I've crewed a couple of times and paced once and the pacing, so I paced Ure and that was a hell of a race. And I was sore for a week and I did 13% of the race over a seven hour stretch. Oh my gosh. And, and it was just like such a, fun energy. The piece that I needed to remind myself was that the runners were not as fresh as I was. They were not as chipper as I was. I started at six in the morning. I had just woken up. They started at whatever time the the prior morning and they had been moving for almost 24 straight hours. And so you sort of have to check your own freshness and, and whatnot at the door because sometimes that's not the, that's not the vibe they're looking for. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, 
like when I ran, I did the Bandera 100K in 2022 and I had my brother pace me. And essentially our strategy was, I want him to run in front of me. I'm going to, you know, I, you've probably done this when, you know, you have friends and you're running behind them. You just, yeah. I just look at my brother's heels and we barely talk. And all I want him to do is just run a little bit faster than I'm running and kind of push the pace a little bit. And sometimes it's like your, your runner probably wants you to do that. Just kind of like, like I said, they're mentally worked. They just yeah. want you to put in the work and they're probably going to hop in the train behind you know, like you don't need to be like jolly making jokes, probably going to make them mad. So like, you got to kind of assess the vibe. It definitely know? depends. There are some yeah. people. So Zoe was definitely wanting like big vibes and yeah. big, big jokes. Peter Bromka picked her up at Forest Hill and they were chatty and, and, you know, had a good chat and Zoe was struggling a lot mentally and physically. And that's, that's what she needed in a place where she was pretty down on herself and the right energy can help. Um, the right energy can help for sure. So I'm curious about your thoughts on if a runner says they want to drop. Yeah. And I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot given, you know, we, you see doing like, Cogadona. Well, yeah. And I mean, like a small note there is like my friend, Sarah, she's never going to drop out of race. She never gets tired. So that wasn't even like <laughs> something we had to worry about. Um, but I've been thinking about this. Like if you want to drop in a race and I, thankfully have never wanted to or have dropped out of a race, but like, just take a second. Like, just, you know, like if you want to drop out of a race, okay, well, if you want to drop out of a race, your what you want to do is your first option is end the race right there. Why don't you take a moment, just relax, you know, sit down, kind of get some food in you and relax and kind of reassess where you're at in the race. Just take a second, you know, because I think oftentimes like, unless you're injured or like there's something wrong with you or it's like continuing is going to be bad for your health. Like oftentimes you can probably just continue walking. Right. You're, so you, you're kind of going to have to. Yeah. Unless like, you're doing like a track ultra. Right. Because you're like going to have to get out of there. Right. So I'd recommend if your runner or you want to drop, just take a second, eat some food, just kind of like take a step back and realize like how awesome it is that you're doing this event. And I've heard this reference. I think it was Eric Sensman on like perhaps the film that D- Dylan Harris did about his own 100 mile race. He's like, you have to surrender yourself to your future self and your uh, previous self. Your future self, in some ways, might be quite disappointed right. if you DNF. So just take a step back and kind of reassess. And like, oftentimes you can kind of just keep moving. And whether that's, hey, let's just get to the next aid station and see if you're okay, and just continue from there. So the principle you just outlined of chunking, of let's get to the yeah. next aid station, like this is a very common principle to break down large tasks. Exactly. And so... I've heard a lot of people talk about running 100 milers. Like if you're on the start line thinking about running 100 miles, you're screwed. But if you're on the start line thinking about getting to the next aid station and the next aid station or finish the first bottle and finish the next bottle or get to your first snack or like get to that tree, breaking it up in this way can certainly help. And, and particularly if you're in a tough spot thinking about dropping. I had the DNF North Face 50 in 2019 because I smashed my ankle after falling and I still had to hike four and a half miles to the next aid station. And it took like two hours. And then once I was at the aid station, it took three hours to get out of there or whatever. The t- it felt like 10 years, um, but there's no cell service and there were no rides in and out and nobody could figure out who to talk to because the, the microphones weren't working. So, or the walkie talkies weren't working. So like sometimes dropping can actually take longer than actually completing the race. Um, I couldn't move any further. So that was a different story. Um, 
talk to me about, do you ever fear getting dropped? Well, I don't think I've paced enough to have that fear. If I was going to be like at States, for example, and crewing someone fast, for sure. Um, the, the races I've paced have been a 250 mile race. So like, if you, you get know, dropped in that yeah, year, yeah. it's time to reassess your fitness. Uh, but I mean, like as a pacer, just go out there and try your best. And if you get dropped, maybe that's a good thing. Cause that means your runner is charging so, and you're probably fit enough to keep up with them. They drop you. I don't know. Maybe that's a, an okay thing. I'm friends with a few of the people who have paced Kyle Patari over the years and they've gotten dropped at like mile 92 or I think he dropped someone at like 99 once and he was running like six flat at the end of Western States. And they were like, what are you going to do? Like, that's freaking awesome to get, yeah. to get dropped when you're doing like 10 miles and they're doing a hundred. I've heard that some athletes feel like encouraged by dropping their pacer. Um, so yeah, definitely don't feel bad if you fail at the one job you have. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But jokes aside, it, it, can be a good thing it can be a morale right and if it does happen it's like it's all part of the game you know like things happen don't get down to yourself if you get dropped you know you probably tried your best (laughs) probably you could get a maybe you could um get right to the next aid station hop back in you know okay we'd be remiss if we didn't ask for some um for some picks who do you think is gonna win meg morgan meg morgan yeah straight up straight up outright outright there we go breaking 15 (laughs) In the in the women's field, Meg Morgan um, is definitely my top pick. Obviously, like she is a good friend of mine. Yep. But at the same time, I mean, Meg has improved, and she would say the same thing: improved significantly over the past few years. Um, we're coached by the same person, Megan Roach. Um, I think Megan and Megan have a great relationship with each other. Megan Morgan or Meg Megmo, as we say, has been putting in great work. Uh, she is so consistent. She is very fast, and she has so much fun while she's out there. Yeah. Like she balances the competitiveness with the fun aspect very well. And I think, I don't know, if you're in a hundred mile race and you're a mile 90s, when you don't want to have behind you is Meg Morgan <laughs> at Black Canyon. If I can tell a little story, uh, I think it was the Table Mesa aid station. It's mile 50, I believe. Ida Nelson, um, Heather Jackson and Keely Henninger. They all came in and left aid station like within seconds of each other, basically together. Megba wanted the golden ticket. So she comes in maybe like, four minutes behind them. And we let her know like, Hey, they're four minutes ahead of you. Uh, Heather is already in Western States. So if you catch one of them, yeah, and it's, it's not Heather, down. like you're in. And she looks at us and she goes, I'm going to catch them and left <laughs> the aid station. I'm like, well, she's going to catch them, you know? Um, so yeah, Meg Morgan for the women's field. Do you want me to give my pick for the men's field? Yeah. Uh, I think Hayden Hawks. I think, you know, he's, he knows how to do it. This is his what? Third time. Got second last year. Um, he's probably been dialing in his strategies. So I, I, if I had, if I was a betting man, and I probably will be via fantasy free trail, I'm gonna have to go with Hayden Hawks. But I mean, the cool thing about this is both fields are so competitive that like it's anyone's game, you know. Yeah, shout out to Free Trail. They're doing some really awesome stuff and getting people more excited about racing. Um, I did a podcast with Dylan last year around Western States, and we dove into his background and his everything he's up to and why he's doing it and whatnot. And he's just doing such cool stuff for the sport and, and free trail and Keely and Corinne and all of them. Uh, it's just amazing what they're, what they're putting out and all that good information. Um, yeah, I've got to, I've got to agree. Hayden is not a, a predictions guy. He doesn't pay attention to any of it. Um, 
I've had some funny conversations with him and Matt Daniels about this. And uh, yeah, he's he's stoked. He's actually coming over here in about an hour to to get in the sauna with with Billy Yang and the camera. Oh, nice. Um, and, I saw Billy was in Superior on his Instagram and I'm like, he's yep. probably filming Hayden. Yep, so that's happening. So if you are uh, a fan of Hayden, uh, he's going to have a video premiering on the Western States live stream uh, tomorrow. Or if it's already past Western States weekend and you're listening to this for another race that you're crewing or pacing, um, check it out on Billy's YouTube or uh, Hayden's uh, socials. Alex, this has been a blast. Uh, I can't wait to dive into it more formally with you and hear about your running and uh, the joy you're having and working with Megan and and running with Megan. Um, But for now, uh, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Yeah, dude, thanks for having me. It was awesome. Of course. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo is created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. 